Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with coach, writer, podcaster, and educator, Matt Barrios. Along with all of that, he is a researcher, writer, and transformational coach based in San Francisco, California. He has over 10 years of experience helping a thousand plus people grow into greater purpose and energy. His research interests focus on the intersection of home, personal growth, and human-centered design. He's got a great vision and story. Enjoy this interview. Hey, Matt, what's up, man? Hey, what's up? Great to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, sorry. I just sent an email because I knew it was a previous state, so disregard. So we're good to okay. go. Perfect, perfect. I'm glad that that worked out. And um, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just still getting some last few things fine-tuned on the technical side, so we sure. get good sound quality and all that. But, yeah. uh, you know, man, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm very excited to chat with you. Yeah, me too. Thank you for taking a minute. Out. Where are you located? I'm in San Francisco. Oh, um, so I've been here uh, the last seven years and it's been a good setup, good setup yeah. for life and yeah. uh, and my wife and our baby. And it's been a blast. That's cool, man. Very cool. Well, before we start kind of peeling back the layers of, you know, how you got to San Francisco, where it all started, I sure. want to know how you got through COVID. The last three years was quite an ordeal for all of us. How okay. did you get through it? And, and. How has it changed the way that you live your life now? Gosh, how did I get through COVID? So um, started off, we were actually on vacation in uh, in London and going to do a second leg in Germany as like the world started closing down. Wow. And uh, me and my wife and uh, my parents, we were on this trip. It was like a visit to my mom's mom's like ancestral home in Germany and stuff. And, uh, and next thing we knew, like the world was shutting down. So we ended up hanging out at my parents' place in uh, Bakersfield, California, where I'm from, for the remaining, uh, like, for the next three months or so. It was great. We had, like, happy hour and jalapeno poppers. And, you know, my parents have a pool, and we got to hang out and everything. Uh, it was before we had kids. And then um, a lot of just, like, hunkering down at home, obviously, in SF. Um, one of the things that I... Two big things that were really helpful. One was I did like a bike commute still. So I'd like still go out, ride my bike before I started work, which is what I was used to before everything shut down. Yeah. And then uh, because we can, we're, we're big travelers and because we can like keep traveling and everything, I would go on these like fun, uh, almost like Google Maps <laughs> uh, expeditions right. where I would uh, explore, uh, explore places and Chile or wherever, like all these places where I would really love to visit. And uh, yeah, so I mean, between those things, um, we were able to make do for sure. Yeah. Um, it was also, you know, the, that's like the sunny side on the hard side. It was, um, it was definitely a pressure cooker of tension uh, at points with uh, me and my wife. And we kind of would get fed up with each other sometimes we really had to figure out how to communicate. Um, it's weird because like when you're working in an office or something, like you've got all this time where you're not around each other. Uh, and so it makes it like, okay, we get to be around each other. It's like this sweet gift or something. Um, but then it's just like, oh no, we're around each other 24 seven for yeah. months on end. Um, on the one hand, it helped us become very, uh, very connected and get far more time than we would in you know, probably like a decade of normal marriage, you know, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, we, we definitely had those, 
those hot moments where it's just like, okay, we, we, we just got to dig in. We got to figure this out and, um, you know, go take a walk and get our separate space or whatever that was. So, yeah, yeah, that's a little bit of what that looked like. And, you know, city of San Francisco had a kind of drop in population, like lots of hardship. Um, at that point we were living in the Tenderloin district in San Francisco, which is a rough neighborhood and, um, full of a lot of drug use and, um, prostitution and so on. And, it got um, cleaned up for a while because a lot of people got housed in hotels. Uh, but then that the money sort of ran out for that. And then things got a lot worse, a lot faster. Wow. So um, fast forward, we, a few, you know, big straws broke the camel's back and it was time to move out of that neighborhood. Yeah. But we're still here in San Francisco and it's uh, it's bouncing back. Cool. So let's examine exactly what you do for a living. Get to kind of the, the a, a better understanding. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders at career day. <laughs> All right. Sure. <laughs> One of the kids looks up at you and says, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child? I, I have long conversations with people to understand what it is that they care about when it comes to their homes so that I can really, really help people who are having troubles at home have a better life, solve some of their problems there. And also so I can hear what's really working super well for other people and then share that with folks who are paying attention to some of the stuff that I'm putting out on the internet. So that's uh, that's kind of like my <laughs> answer for a kid. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So what did you want to be when you were in the third grade? What was your dream growing up? Oh gosh, third grade. You know, it's so funny because like I I think it's fitting for what I do now. Um the thing that was always clear for me since I was like 4 years old is I really wanted to be a husband and a dad. That was like the biggest driver for me. Wow. Um I was also um you know, smart kid, loved to read, um excelled in school. Um, so I kind of wanted to be a teacher and uh, have always loved learning and curiosity. So, um, yeah, I, th I feel like those things sort of converge now. Of course, I also wanted to be a veterinarian and hang out with animals a lot and uh, <laughs> so on. Um, so I think that's like, uh, yeah, I, I'd say it's like husband, dad, teacher, veterinarian. Some convergence of those things was uh, the goal in third grade, plus maybe some Pokemon card collecting and so on. So, Of course. Yeah. yeah. So let's go back to where you were born and raised and what some of the more specific seeds that were put into you to become a coach, to become someone that wants to help other people. Yeah, I was born in Bakersfield, California, Central Valley, California. It's a it's a, a large town. I'd put it that way. There's like still a sense that people know each other, has a community feel. Um, you're not getting lost in a metropolitan space. And there was a sense with my, my mom being a school teacher, my dad being a photojournalist at the local newspaper, that we had a responsibility to nurturing our community. Uh, we've got to be people who are invested, whether it's through education or information, to to help people. That was exemplified most clearly. My parents, uh, every Tuesday night, they go out to the homeless homeless rescue mission. And to this day, now decades and decades later, they go serve meals to folks who are homeless on the streets of Bakersfield. I would go out with them as a kid. 
And so I think it was just embedded in me the importance of helping people in need. Uh, so I'd say fast forward uh, through the future, I start acquiring these skills in um, not only like researching curiosity and interviewing people, but also coaching. I'm trained formally as a spiritual director, which is kind of like a coach for the big spiritual questions of life, purpose, meaning, um, identity, personality, these kinds of things. And I decided after having had that experience with my family, and it was a mix of positive and negative, um, you know, I don't want to throw my parents under the bus, but there were some hard times that were really rough for us. And what I found was uh, the importance of home as being this tone set or foundation foundation set for our lives. So I became interested in helping people coaching from that angle to find purpose, meaning sense of identity that grows out of the soil of our homes. So who has been kind of a hero for you in your life? So funny, but I, I, I would say uh, there's probably like two big people who come to mind. One is the uh, <laughs> existential philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. I went to graduate school. I was all about existential philosophy that converged with my interest in spirituality and these wrestling with big questions of meaning, mm -hmm. right? Like what what does it look like for us to devote ourselves existentially to, to a meaning, a purpose, a drive in life. I feel like Kierkegaard referred to him as like my dead best friend. Like there's a sense, I, I never met him, but when I read him, there's a sense of kinship that I have with him that is just so wild. Um, the second is Mr. Rogers. Grew up watching, watching Mr. Rogers, have read his uh, biographies, and I feel a real a real kinship with him as well as a person who was invested in helping children make sense of the world. I think that is a driver for me as a father now. But even before I had kids, I was like a kidless dad. That was like a, a way I would describe myself because I just wanted to help people understand the world. So there's this teacher part of me that is invested in the development and especially a mind towards kids and families as well. That's interesting. So as somebody that obviously picked people that are very real, that have been very instrumental for you, who's alive right now on the planet that you would love to meet and spend some time with? I think now that I'm in a phase, because I, I would say I spent a large chunk of my life, my life being really idealistic and esoteric, frankly, <laughs> like I, I was very like, bookish and abstract in my thinking um you know anybody who's gonna like love existentialism or something is gonna you know be invested in that kind of thing um so now i feel like the mission is actually to ground it all in reality and building stuff so i think i would want to talk to some of the folks who help take things from concept to a designed reality so actually um Joni Ive comes to mind, uh, the formerly lead designer at Apple, yeah. as a person who has helped translate huge vision into tangible products. How do they feel? What do they look like? How can those actually be instrumental in reshaping hum humanity's approach to everything, frankly, you know, with the invention of iPhone 
iMac and so on. So uh, I I think that connection seems really important for me to discover that design connection to take things from abstract thing, let's solve a problem, a human problem, and take that into the market, what, what will actually work for people or not. So I'd say that's like probably the next step a person who I'd love to have a nice long conversation with. So I got a quick existential story for you since you brought it up a few times. I'd love to hear. Okay. So I was working at the YMCA. I was running two uh, labs, computer labs, back when AOL was big. They funded Steve Case, funded all of these different organizations, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, YMCAs. So I had two labs, and they were in pretty impoverished areas. And at one point, they were really trying to clean house at the YMCA and figure some things out. So they brought this consultant in. His name was Bob. And he was kind of this magic guru guy. And we all get up in this boardroom and I just gotten out of corporate America. I was on detox. I was like, all right. Oh, I bet. I just, my, my filter was gone. Just let's, just, <laughs> let's, let's get to it. So we're in the room and we're all talking. And at one point I was trying to weave together a story and I said, waiting for Godot. And he just, and he looked over and he wow. was like, what? And I was like, yeah. And I just went with it. I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of existentialism. I'm a big yeah. fan of the book. That dude was all over me after that. Like he would always pick me out of a group. We'd always talk. He was a big fan. And it was that moment when I said, waiting for Godot, every light in the universe went off in his brain. He was just freaked out. I don't know if he had been in corporate America for so long, no one ever even would have thought about that concept. But to me, it was just native. I was like, there you go. Yeah. yeah, and I it, it, with Kierkegaard and, and that ilk, I've always yes. been into that that mindset. So anyway, I, that's always been my waiting for Godot moment. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You're waiting, but but he actually showed up, and it was this guy who wants to keep it, uh, having a conversation with you. I yeah. love it. Yeah, that's yeah. so good. Yeah. And he just kept going and going, and he was into it. And he was like, I think at one point he said, "Man, I had been in this capacity for decades, and I'd never heard anybody bring anything up about." anything literature wise or Godot. Yeah. And I'm like, where were you at? What were you doing? Were it's you guys so drinking funny. on the clock? What was going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. You know, uh, the other day I was, uh, I was doing like this hot yoga sprint here in San Francisco. I like signed up for this 10 day unlimited pass. I'm going every single day. I'm just s- sweating bullets constantly. And I was connected with this, this like random dude. He has this accent. He ended up, ended up that he was from uh, the Czech Republic and he and I were chatting and then uh, we were chatting, like, why, why do you come to do hot yoga? And uh, I asked him, and then he says something like, you know, it's for purity of heart. And I said, purity of heart is to will one thing. And yeah. then we had this moment where, like, yep. we both know Kierkegaard. And, it. and it's just like, it, it's like a wild thing when you have those moments of exchange. Like, like that's my, my parallel story to exactly yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> where, where you realize, like, you've, you've read the same stuff. You've had this connection into a, a certain way of thinking actually too, that comes along with all that. And it's like finding your tribe, man. I, I love it. Yeah. Cause you know, sometimes the thing is as populated as this planet is, it gets very lonely. So if you can find some of that really needles deep, deep into like the folds of your brain of something that you wouldn't have expected, it just makes it that much better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I love it, man. Yeah, I think when I when um, and I feel like people who are into existentialism too have a particular like drive because yeah. it can feel like such a solitary thing. Um, yeah. that's maybe a, a tenet of it actually is like the solo, occasionally lonely reality of existence. Yeah. So when you have a moment where it's just like, oh yeah, we're both in this together, 
It's so magical. It's a meta bubble of existentialism is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into what really makes you who you are. What is the motivator? What's the gas in your tank? What is the spark in your torch every day to make you go out and help people? Well, I'd say I'm like a combination of like a deep investment in home and a deep desire for social impact. Uh, It comes a little bit from that backstory with my parents and what they were like and what it was like to grow up in that household where, you know, we're we're living together, we're connecting and so on. But then also we're going out and serving the community. Um, So once (laughs) years ago, me and my wife, we this was before we started um, like really dating we're having this long conversation and we're kind of like, will we or won't we conversation? We're at this beautiful rose garden in Oakland, California. And we just asked the question, if you had to like stand for one thing in your life, what would it be? And it led to this nice long conversation. And for her, she said, deep connection, a deep relational connection, intimacy with people. And I said, home, home is actually the big thing that I stand for. Because I think so much actually comes out of people having good homes where they love to be, where it's safe for them, where it's inspiring for them to go out and, you know, serve the world. And so I said home. Now, my wife is a Harvard Law School trained attorney. She has spent herself in especially nonprofit immigration law. So she is all about this global perspective on the world. And she is also all about helping people who otherwise would fall through the system, not get the sort of help that they need. And over time, I think she and I have been able to almost like zip up our interests in both this desire and drive for home and deep connection and social impact and global perspective. And now I also bring this, this value for, um, Maybe something like visibility to the problem, creating awareness to these things. I think she's driven towards that, but she's not necessarily going to be like, oh, I should go produce content on this, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. But that's something that I actually care about as a storyteller, a teacher, a communicator in maybe a different kind of way than she does. So I would say things that help me go out and coach people in their home and uh, do this research for global perspectives on home life. It's actually almost now built into the way that our, my relationship with my wife functions and it's built into the place that we live day in, day out. And I'm, I have this daily reminder of our quality of life period across the board is going to grow out of how well home is going or how well it's not going. So uh, how can I, yeah, just kind of like encapsulate that message and keep being of service to people with it. So what are you the proudest of that you've done in your life so far? Hard question. Yeah. I don't think about that, honestly, that often. A year and a half ago, I was working um, as a minister at a church and it was like going all right and everything, but it also just wasn't, capturing the same sort of passion drive and so on that it previously had for me. On top of that, we were adjusting to having a a baby. She was still pretty fresh at that point. 
me and my wife, idealistic as we can be, we're both like, okay, we can both work full-time jobs and take care of an infant. It's not really how it works. Um, so we hit this like hard impasse where we realize we can't both be working and also take care of our kid. And also um, I'm at this kind of pivot moment in my career where I don't really want to keep doing that line of work. And so I choose to quit and I choose to be home with our baby, chart a path for a new career, kind of bring some things that I had in the background to bear on that transition moment and kind of like build some businesses that I had kind of going in the background. And I tell you what, like taking care of my, my daughter, I'm very, very proud of pushing pause on a lot of things and investing in her in the earliest moments of her life before she's even 20 pounds, you know, like the, the psychological attachment that comes from the earliest stages of a kid's life, it's all in entirely presence in visceral and, you know, eye contact, that sort of stuff. And so I'm very proud and it's been real hard, frankly, it, it's like a tough thing to transition careers from, from doing church work. It's also a, challenge to just take care of a sleepless baby. Um, it's tiring. And I'm very, very proud of making that shift. That was tough. But I and I, I hope and pray that it pays dividends in my daughter's life. Um, it serves her yeah. as she keeps going. So I think that's one of those decisions that was a hard choice to make that I'm very proud of. So everyone out there has a perception of you, family, friends, clients, colleagues, but you're in control. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Yeah. Gosh, I'm a, I'm a people-oriented, fun-loving, hospitable, friendly, research-oriented person. I love knowing things. I love learning things. Uh, I love communicating and teaching and I love like long conversations that meander with people. That's one of my favorite things on the planet is to have people over for a nice long dinner party. And then we're sipping wine late into the night talking about life. That's, that's like prime time for me. So when it comes to that, I'm, I'm this combination of, you know, empath and, research mind and host um plus maybe like a mix of just like dadish goofiness i love to be silly with my daughter uh i'm i have actually trained in improv comedy so i used to perform in a theater here in san francisco for several years and you know play play matters a ton to me yeah. i think that's like part of what life's about enjoy it have fun absolutely um, yeah, so uh, I'd say all of those things. That was kind of like a broad answer, perhaps, but like all of those things add up to totally. who I perceive myself to be. Yeah, totally. So, if anyone out there wants to learn more about you, hire you, anything pertaining to your world, where can they go? They can go to homelifedesignlab.com. That is the company that I'm 
building everything out of right now, uh, workshops, coaching, doing global research on homes by interviewing folks all around the world. That's uh, where you can find the newsletter, which will tell you about everything. Also, I host a podcast called Home Life for Extraordinary Impact, which is nice long conversations with people from Iran to Denmark to Canada to Guatemala, hearing about their homes, investigating what does home look like for them and what does home look like in global perspective to try to synthesize some insights that'll help people, you know, create a better home for themselves. Ultimately, because I think if one person transforms their quality of life at home and then they invite people into it, that's the stuff of a grassroots social change. And I want to help that happen in the world. So that's what I'm all about. So that's where you can find me. Right on, Matt. This has been great, man. Thank you for opening up. Thanks for your story. This has been wonderful, man. I so appreciate being on. Thank you for hosting me. Gosh, you're an incredible communicator and uh, great questions. You just go right for it. And I love it. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Mm-hmm.